from the line of Judah, you who take oaths in the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness, you who call yourselves citizens of the holy city and claim to rely on the God of Israel, the Lord Almighty is his name. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted and they came to pass. For I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron, your forehead was bronze. Therefore I told you these things long ago before they happened. I announced them to you so that they could not say, my images brought them about, my wooden image and metal uh, God ordained them. You've heard these things, look at them all. Will you not admit them? From now on, I will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. They're created now and not long ago. You have not heard of them before today. So you cannot say, yes, I knew them. You have neither heard nor understood from of old your ears have not been open. Well, do I know how treacherous you are? You were called a rebel from birth. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you so as not to, com- to destroy you completely. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Listen to me, Jacob, Israel, whom I have called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My own hand laid the foundations of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I summon them, they all stand up together. Come together, all of you, and listen. Which of the idols has foretold these things? The Lord's chosen ally will carry out his purpose against Babylon. His arm will be against the Babylonians. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I will bring him. And he will succeed in his mission. Come near and listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At the time it happens... I am there. And now the sovereign Lord has sent me, empowered, endowed, sorry, with his spirit. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river and your well-being like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its numberless grains. Their name would, be, would never be blotted out, nor destroyed from before me. Leave Babylon. Flee from the Babylonians. Announce this with shouts of joy and proclaim it. Send it out to the ends of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst. When he led them through the deserts, he made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and 
water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open. Even if we are not inclined to you this evening, pray that we are, but reach in, stir. Cause us to understand the story of of your people and see how it relates to now in us, in this time. Amen. Sometimes when you preach, you get to passage and you think, well, at least it's not as bad as some others I could have been given. Uh, I always know when the young people have been reading their Bible, because they always find the, in the Old Testament particularly the particularly scandalous bits and the rude bits, and, and those who are like, what, what like? I said, well, read it and find them. This isn't quite as bad as others. But it is a, a, a salutary text. Isaiah has got the wonderful hope of the Messiah, the coming kingdom, of all that God would do. Also alongside the real challenges of faithfully in an age when it's not easy. One of the things I really noticed about this passage and reminded me is of of the power of choice. The importance of choice, the, the necessity of choice. Way back when I was somewhat younger, I I used to go to the cinema a little bit more often. There was a film called Sliding Doors. Anyone remember that one? Yeah, Brenda loved it. She's not. I knew that one. (laughs) Sliding Doors. Uh, It's not about trains or anything like that. It's about. It's a really interesting film. I'm sure you could probably find it on some streaming service or in a charity shop if you go delving. Uh, Sliding Doors is about this moment in someone's life. When there's a door, sliding doors in a shop and someone goes through it or not. And the rest of the film works out with the consequences of that decision, the choice to go through or not. And it's not flippant or glib. Choices make a very real difference. If you were into uh, Doctor Who, the latest incarnation... Uh, of, of reincarnation, if we're allowed to say that word in church, uh, of the Doctor... Uh, a lady, Dr. Lady Who, and uh, she, uh, some really interesting, um, yeah, strike that from the edit. If, uh, if a really interesting episode, when uh, they go, she and uh, the doctor and her associates, they go and they're in uh, civil rights deepest America with Rosa Parks on the bus. I think you've seen it. BBC Catch Up. I'm not on commission, by the way, for a streaming service this evening. Uh, but there's that wonderful moment, and, and it just kind of reminded me, I mean, it's, it, it, we could have spoken about it, but Rosa Parks on the bus deciding not to give up her seat set in motion a train of events that have changed the world. If you're reading any commentary at the moment, and the quest, repeated question, I wonder what David Cameron is doing now, this week. I wonder if he looks back at uh, that moment when he made a decision to say, let's have a referendum and set in motion a whole train of events 
whether you perceive those as good events or bad events, I'm not going to, to judge. But that decision, that moment, that choice has affected things massively. In Isaiah 50, 48, we get the Lord himself calling out to the people of God. Remember, they're residing in Babylon under the rule of the Babylonians. So contemporary uh, kind of prophets you could look at at this point, people like Daniel. Uh, they are living under the reign and rule and have been since the exile, have been from that moment that God excised a long-announced judgment. You will be exiled for your failure to keep the covenant. You will be exiled for your failure to honor me and worship me truly. I have announced this, and we can look in Deuteronomy and the Levit- uh, and the, um, the, the, Pente- the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, we can see the consequence. Live, by, live choosing me, or if you don't, there's a consequence. And for much of Isaiah, we've seen that announcement. If you continue to stand against me and against my ways, judgment will come. And now in the later chapters of of Isaiah, that judgment has come. They're exiled and they have fallen to the Babylonians. They are in exile, many, many taken away uh, in uh, uh, BC 581. Prophets like Jeremiah said, get married, buy some land, settle down, pray for the peace of the city in Jerusalem, establish roots there. I mean, that was shocking in its time because they were thinking, we're going to be saved, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be called back just in the nick of time. God's going to rescue us. And God says, no, you're here for quite a long stay. Seek the prosperity of the city. There comes a point, about 70 years later, where the voice of the Lord comes again. And the people of God are faced with a choice. Have they learned to listen and choose when God speaks? To say, yes. Yes, God, yes. Yahweh, yes. Jehovah, yes. Lord Almighty. Or I think I know better. Hmm, let me just ponder that for a moment. I'll just weigh that up and come to my own decision. I find it really interesting that in in verse uh, 1, as the Lord is instructing Isaiah that the, the prophetic oracle comes about. Listen to this, you descendants of Jacob. You who are called by the name of Israel. And that really struck me uh, because the, the Israel and Jacob are actually the same name for the same person. It's like a bit of a, an Old Testament 101, this, isn't it? We're kind of ranging all over. That Jacob was the son of Isaac. Yeah, it's not a trick question. <laughs> oh, got to work hard. And um, we remember there's Abraham, Isaac. And then there's two brothers, Esau and Jacob. And when you read the story of Jacob... Jacob, for much of his life, does it his own way. His name encapsulates that. Deceiver, grasper, schemer, twisted one, Jacob. The younger one, the one who seeks to do it in his own way, his own strength, his own plotting, his own maneuvering. 
And for a time, it seems to work. And, and then he, uh, he's chased out and goes to live with Laban. And, and uh, it's in Genesis if you want to read the story for yourselves. But there comes a point one night when every scheme that he has plotted and hatched has failed. He's kind of having to leave where he spent time. He realizes he's got to go back to his birthplace and face his older brother. And there's a night that he wrestles with God. And at the end of that, God says, what's your name? And Jacob's name is changed from Jacob, deceiver, to Israel, the father of nations. That moment when Jacob submits, that moment when Jacob realizes that his own strategy, his own direction, that going the ways that the world has shown actually don't work. That in that submission, after wrestling and fighting with God for years, he comes to that point of saying, Lord, I trust you. You are called by the name Israel. I think implicitly in this, in this verse 1 is this reminder to the people of God and to us that we either go, we go by one or the other name. We either kind of have a sign over our lives that kind of says in lip service we belong we come under the banner of, we're associated with, we're in the right places and, and hang out in the right ways, you know, and can know some of the language. But actually that, that choice of the heart isn't there. We'll still choose our own way. Or actually we will be true disciples, descendants of Jacob, or those who are called by the name of Israel. Come from the line of Judah those of the promise. Choices. You see, as, as the, 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 the years of, of world history progress, the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar had, had, was a tyrant and he'd come and he'd, he'd extracted and done dreadful things, horrible things to the leaders and rulers. He'd taken a whole bunch of younger leaders to Babylon that, that there were a remnant in Israel and Jerusalem left. Jeremiah's amongst them. But the great and the good, the, the up and coming, were taken to Babylon for a long time. And then God began to announce, and, and we, we saw it in a, a couple of chapters earlier. There's a little bit of a shock in, um, I think it's verse, uh, f- uh, chapter 45, uh, the beginning. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus. I mean, uh, as I think Phil was preaching, it was before Christmas. Uh, to the Lord's anointed, that's like a Messiah, one raised up, one called out, one appointed by God to serve. That Cyrus, this Persian king, would serve the purposes of God. And indeed he did. He overthrew uh, the, the, uh, the Babylonian empire. He was the next great leader, the great superpower. And he was a lot uh, more uh, benevolent, merciful, kind, and um, had a different political view. Nebuchadnezzar and other rulers thought, well, if you want to keep people under submission, you subjugate them, you brutalize them, and then you transplant them from their home. You take them away from their land so they can't be nationalistic, and you transplant them somewhere else. Put them down, and they have no roots, no family, no land. 
and they, they're pretty scared, so they'll obey you. And that seemed to be what happened under Nebuchadnezzar. Cyrus, on the other hand, recognized that actually people still stay a bit ticked off with that. Like, these people, they took us away, they kept us hostage, they treat us badly. This isn't the home we want to go back. Cyrus thought, I know. Rather than keep them away, let's let them go back. And then they go, what a kind, nice king, emperor. Let's, you know, we, we, let's go. He's letting us go back. He can rebuild the walls. We, oh, how great. We'll, we'll stay in good relationship with him. He's a kind, neat one. Well, the politics of the emperor is one thing, but behind that is the providence and the power and the direction of God. And so... Through Cyrus, a bunch went back to Israel to rebuild the walls, Ezra, Nehemiah. Interesting that, again, the parallel story of of Ezra tells us that less than 50,000 of God's people, resident in the foreign land, chose to return. Less than 50,000. That Cyrus's proclamation say, you can go back. For remember, for all that that meant in the promises to Abraham of the land, the place, the blessing. You can go back. Go on. You can go. Only a handful went. A whole lot had chosen to stay chose to reside, chose to say, well, we've invested now here. We'd rather stay, thank you. We'd rather stay in this place, under this regime, under this rule. We'd rather stay because it's going okay for us now, actually. Who wants to set out on a journey again? We've put down roots. We've become comfortable. We'll stay. Choices. That in this chapter, we hear of choices. Stay in Babylon or choose Zion, Jerusalem, God's plans. Choices. Stay or go. Choices. One of the things that, uh, again, I really was struck by in, in, this, in this chapter was, I don't know if you heard it as I read it, was this, the really personal nature of the oracle. Of the prophecy of Isaiah. That as Isaiah speaks what God has announced, so much of it is in the, is in the, uh, using the pronouns of God himself. Did you notice it? So in verse 11, for my own sake, this my own, it's a, it's a, it's a double strengthening. For again, repeated, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Listen to me, to me, Jacob, Israel, whom I have called. I am he, I am the first, I am the last, and so on. Make no mistake, God is directing, God is personally invested, God the Father to his people. It isn't just a sort of letter sent from a long way away. This is the very heart of the Father speaking to his children, his family, his people, saying, come, come back. I've refined you. Now is the time to choose again to follow. Choices. In verses 1 to 2, 
we've seen this, this recognition that it's not just enough to say or to pay lip service to, but the choice, real choice, to go. Psalm 137, popularized by, by Boney M, do you remember it? By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept. And we remembered Zion. It's a psalm that was given, was a plea uh, for the exiles to leave Babylon. A reminder to say, even though you've been put here and you've been spared a face worse than death, actually it's not to be your home. It's not where you were designed to be. It's not where you're called to be. It was a temporary sojourn. The oracle goes on, verses 3 to 11. See the Lord at work. Babylon will fall. Turn from the idols that God is speaking. God himself, the the ever-present one, the one who is with you, the first and the last, the one I, even I. Don't look anywhere else. He's announced it. He's uttered it. He's spoken these things, announce them before they happen to you so that you know it's not coincidence, not chance, not happenstance. God has spoken. Mute, idols are mute and dumb and fashioned in our own image. God himself knows the beginning from the end and speaks. I was reminded as, as Phil preached this morning of just this lovely verse in chapter in verse nine. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. Phil was speaking this morning about the patience of God. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you, so as not to destroy you completely. That the choice for the people is come out, come back. And we've seen again and again in in the story of God's people that God has spoken and the people stick their fingers in their ears. God has has spoken and the people go, whatever. God speaks and the people seem really reluctant to do as God asks. I mean, we're not like that at all, are we? And God speaks, yes, Lord. Right away, Lord. Of course, Lord. We don't need to know anything about the patience of God and the forbearance of God and the mercy of God and his, he, that, he won't, that he won't kind of uh, judge us as we deserve. In his mercy, he delays. But the choice is still there. In verses 12 to 22, the Lord God through Isaiah, his prophet, plead, plead with the people to leave it all behind. He says, my strong arm will save you. If you choose me, if you listen to my words, if you step out in faith and return to Jerusalem, if you trust me more than you trust in the emperor, and the society and the culture and the institutes that man has made. I plead with you, step out in faith, follow me. My strong arm will save you. You see, here's, here's, here's the paradox of the, of the passage. That by choosing to follow the Lord, God's people will be saved. Why? Because God has committed to destroy 
Babylon. The God will judge Babylon. He's announced it, already spoken it. And God is reminding them that Babylon themselves will be destroyed. He's urging God's people, those with ears to hear, side with God, side, go on the right side, the winning side, the side of life. He will save you. So, so vital. You see, so much, so much of Scripture is contrasting this choice. Live in Babel or live in the city of life. That in Genesis 11, where do they build the tower? The tower of Babel is the origins of the city of Babylon. Now we talk about how they say we want to be like God and build this tower. But actually it's in the formation of this city. A city, a culture, a way of life that is ordered away and uh, and in distinction from God. Way at the other end of Scripture we have in in Revelation, the language of John, the the Apostle. Again, picking up this choice of of live under the reign and rule of Babylon, of the city, that often is characterized in in chapter 17 and 18 as as depicted as a ravishing, alluring woman with jewels and fine clothes that seems so attractive. Why not be with her when God says, no, come out and be with me? The choice, Babel, Babylon, Jerusalem, Zion, God's promises are the promise of the world. Choose. Choose. Babel on the one hand, always tempting, always uh, causing us to want to place our trust in human power and institution and pleasure and self-centered religion. Or in Jerusalem centered around God and the worship of God and the promises and plans of God. Choose one or the other. Verse 17, chapter 48. I mean, sometimes we need to hear this. God isn't a killjoy. Do you know that? I was talking to some young people not so long ago, and I was talking to my relatives in Canada just last weekend. And they were sort of saying, well, so much of Christianity seems killjoy. It's all about rules and regulations, and you can't this, and you can't that. And, and they said, but you, you kind of like, you don't seem to do all that, Edward. And I was like, well, no. Jesus brings life. Listen to this, verse 17. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what is best for you, and who directs you in the way you should go. In other words, why, why don't we choose the ways of God? I mean, this is a real battle. This is a real choice that we're all faced. We're, we're all choice with this. Which will we follow? It's the sliding doors. It's the Rosa Parks on the bus. It's, it's that choice in life, Lord's way or other. But we need to hear that the Lord's way is what's best for you. Directs you in the way you should go. If only you'd paid attention to my, ca- my commands. Your peace, don't we all want peace? Really? Would be like a river. Your well-being, uh, like the waves of the sea. 
Your descendants would have been like the sand. Your children like its numberless grains. Their name would never be blotted out nor destroyed from before me. I mean, that sounds good, doesn't it? And when you read through the scriptures and see the promises of God and and the fullness of life that Jesus brings, it's not without challenge, of course. But actually, when faced with, do you want this or that? Sheep or goats? Life or death? Light or darkness? Hope or despair? Forgiveness or enmity? Which do we choose? Now, you're all going, of course, I believe we choose this one. White, yes. But the reality is, as Paul phrases it in chapter 3 of Colossians, says, you know, we're all faced with this choice daily. He says, put off the old ways of life. Take off the old clothes and put on. Clothe yourself with Christ Jesus. This choosing, this choosing. And again, we we accept the the salvation of God who is mighty to save. We, we, We are born again and begin this new life. But sister, brother, it is that continuous choice. Trusting and knowing, because he's announced it, we have the testimony of Scripture and the experience of our journey and those around us to say, I'd rather be with the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the Redeemer, the Lord my God, who teaches me what is best, who directs me in the way that I should go. And on face value, it can seem a bit of a shock and a bit of a scandal because for the, for the people of God in Babylon, and it seemed like a good place to be. It was safe. Cyrus was saying, it's okay. You can go back. It's okay. It's all right now. The, the tyrant Nebuchadnezzar and his, his offspring have, have been um, overthrown. There's a new regime, a new way. Live here. Stay here. Put down roots. Chill out. Blend in. But the thing about trusting our society and our culture and our cultural ways, I mean, I, I was just talking again. I do a lot of talking, clearly. But um, I was just reflecting of the change in 20 years. I mean, some of us, all of us are old enough to do that. I can say that, probably except one or two at the back. But uh, I can say, uh, all of us can think back 20 years and think about the enormous cultural shift in our nation. I'm not making a value judgment on that, just saying how much in 20 years can change. How much a tide can turn, how much a, an emphasis on one thing can shift to another of how fickle and changeable our culture is. Or, choose the ancient of days, the I am, the first and the last, who knows every moment and is steadfast and sure. See, God in his mercy is calling out to the people in Israel at that time and saying, come, leave Babylon, come back, now is the time. Follow me, choose me again. Live out the fulfillment of the promise and the faith that you have. I'm not a killjoy. I call you to feast on my delights. Reap the bountiful rewards of your faith in following me back to the promised land. Because the choice isn't neutral. You see, what they didn't know and what we don't know in the present moment today, that that which we have put our security in, that which we have put our hope in, that which we put our trust in, in the world, in our own Babylons of the age, will also fall and decline and be replaced and be judged and be lost. 
for the people of God at this time, the call was leave Babylon. Don't stay. And a handful of faithful said, we will go. And for many in their own logic and wisdom and comfort and for whatever reason, said, we'll stay. It seems good here. In this moment, in this life, in this now. And that was about 539 BC. What they didn't know was that in 19 years later, Cyrus was overturned and toppled. Darius came to power. Another Persian. And Babylon, which had been set free by Cyrus, turned and sought to oppose the Persian Empire. They didn't like being governed and ruled by a foreign power. I mean, nothing strange about that. And they rebelled against Darius. And Darius showed no mercy. One of the books I was reading referenced Herodotus. I had to think about how to say that. Every time I get it wrong, I always get it wrong, but I got it right. Herodotus. Hooray. In his writings of this time, said that the Babylonians were in a siege so severe, and from Darius, so severe that the men of the city, I mean, goodness me, the horror of this, had to choose all but one of the women in their home and killed and strangled the rest. Why did they save one wife? Well, according to Herodotus, so they could bake bread for the men. And they didn't want all those other mouths to feed. Such was the severity of the siege. And the tragedy is that some of God's people remained and missed the boat and didn't return. The chapter ends with one of, I don't know if it's, this is true from, you know, there's a lot of scripture, but I mean, listen to the strength of what is spoken. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Sometimes we think of the wicked as, as the vile criminal. And yes, they are. But here the context is those who choose against God. Those who say, or oh, trust not in the goodness and the benevolence and the mercy and the grace of God. But turn their back upon him and say, I know best. Leave Babylon. A story from history, an example of the power of choice. I pray that as we've read that story, we hear the grace of God, the goodness of the gospel, the extension of the mercy of God. He says, I will, for my own name's sake, delay my wrath because I hold out the hand of grace, the hand of opportunity, the hand of guidance. Come, come, choose me, follow, live for me, make your way my ways. the choice is real. Let's pray. Invite us to stand together.